0: Welcome to this episode of Out of the Best Books, the podcast where we deep dive into classic literature and have conversations about what we've learned and discovered along the way. We love all things books and reading, and we want to share our love of the classics with you. We hope to inspire you to read along with us and join in the conversation. I'm Laura.
1: And I'm Amity. Let's get started. Hey, we're jumping into the next several chapters of Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell. So what are you thinking so far?
0: Well, I figured out I've read it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It just reminds me of like, I don't know, just like kind of like Little House on the Prairie or Little House books where they explain a lot of what they're doing. You know, there's a lot of description in there. I'm trying to think of other books that might be like out in the wilderness. I don't know. Just gives me those vibes. Yeah.
1: Well, and we can talk about a lot more like at the end when we – you know, talk about books that's kind of along these same lines, but it made me think of uh, My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, It makes makes me think of The Sign of the Beaver. Also, Two Against the North. Yeah, there's quite a few. And it is, they're all kind of just like survive in nature (laughs) type of books.
0: Or like Hatchet. And as I'm reading, I'm like, she's getting more and more comfortable, brave. I don't know, Mm -hmm. not brave, but like confident in what she's doing. She's like, I need to do this. Okay. So I'm going to do it.
1: What keeps coming to my mind is how bored she must be. It's got to be really hard. I mean, at the same time though, like I thought, like all of her attention is on survival, like both, you know, food and water and shelter and staying alive. But yes, once she has those things figured out, it's like, then what? Because once we get to the end of this section, like she's she pretty much has those things figured out.
0: I was thinking about like, I can't do my dishes without listening to a podcast. It's just funny how we're in such a different existence now, right? We can't go on a walk without listening to something or I don't know. It's just interesting. But yeah, that poor girl, I would be like.
1: "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) Well, and just the fact that like we need people, like we need social interaction without that, you know, it is punishment to be put in solitary confinement, you know, and she's not confined per se, but she is very solitary. Yeah, that would be extremely difficult. And and again, like this is basically a true story. This was, this really did occur. We don't know exactly her age or maybe like everything that happened on the island, but there was a woman who was all alone on the island having been abandoned by her tribe for 18 years.
0: Yeah, I kept thinking that too. Like this has happened to people before. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine. And <laughs> I keep thinking of like, is that the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Uh-huh. Where he like talks to the volleyball.
1: Yeah. Like, Wilson Wilson.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like,
1: yeah, you have to have you have to have something. Yeah, I go crazy. Um, Let's jump
0: into chapters ten through twelve. Okay. And I should have been keeping track. Have you been keeping track about how time is happening?
1: Not really. But I think like by the time we get to the end of this, I think it's been a few years. Yeah. By the end of chapter 18, I think it's been a few years.
0: It seems like somewhere in here, I think it was like chapter 16. They said it had been about a year, I think. Or anyways, but it's like, oh, it's spring. Oh, it's winter. Oh, it's spring. So time is like going by. This is the chapter where she decides she wants to leave. That summer, she keeps watching the water for any sign of the white man's ship, right? And the only thing she sees that year is a whale spouting water. She realizes when she doesn't see a ship that she's going to have to wait until at least winter is over. And she's feeling hopeless. She has nightmares. She's not eating much. The winds are really bad. And she realizes that she can't keep sleeping on her rock. So she moves to the bottom. It's probably because of the wind, I'm guessing. So she moves to the bottom of the rock and she she lights a fire to keep, probably keep, I think it's to keep the dogs away. And then this part, she's able to kill three of the wild dogs, but not the leader. And every time she said that, but not the leader, I was like, oh yeah. Now I'm remembering that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Spoiler. But yeah, it just, I guess that was a little bit of foreshadowing because she says it a couple of times that she's able to kill some, but not the leader. So when that storm ends, she goes to find a canoe. So she goes down to the spot in the island where they had kept the canoes and there's still dried food in them. And then she decides that she's going to take a canoe and go to the place where, where Kimki the chief whatever had told her about that that's where they had gone so she decided she's gonna go the canoes are huge and heavy and hard for her to maneuver so she picks the smallest one and i i liked this too like picturing her i i I thought this chapter or the next one it was this one was very descriptive like i could actually feel how she was feeling and like Mm -hmm. kind of picture what was going on and how tired she must have been and Anyways, I thought this this chapter was really good writing. She makes a bed of kelp to help her push the canoe out because it's just too heavy for her. And so the kelp makes it slippery and she's able to get it off. She gets out into the water and goes far enough that she can't see the island anymore. And then it, the night comes. that we were want to say. The sun goes down and the stars come out. And the stars coming out make her feel better about what... She's not as scared, I guess. Okay, so halfway through the night. Now, can you imagine this? You're out in the middle of the ocean, and you can't see the island, and you realize that the canoe is leaking. And I thought this was really smart. So she patches it with bits of her skirt that she's wearing. She keeps patching it, but the the leak just keeps getting bigger. And so now she realizes that it's too dangerous to keep going. She has a really hard time deciding that it's time to go back. I can't imagine, like, giving up. Okay, I guess... This isn't going to work. So she eventually does go back. And then I like this on her way back to her Island. She sees the the dolphins mm-hmm. and the dolphins are supposed to be a good omen. She stops feeling lonely. She's able to keep her mind off of the ha- fact that her hands are bleeding. She also, it helps her keep from falling asleep. So that's the other thing is she's been awake all night. Right. I can't, I just, I can't even imagine like your hands are dying from. Oh, exhausting. Yes. And you're up all night. And
1: it is a lot. It is. So hard to paddle. Yes. It's a lot of work. It's a full body exercise for hours and hours and hours anyway.
0: And if you're not doing it all the time, then your hands hurt. A couple of years ago, we got kayaks, and like I couldn't believe the first time we took them out, and my hands had blisters all over them oh. just really quickly. So she keeps drifting off to sleep, but in the morning she sees she can see the island, and then she gets to the island, and she climbs out of the boat, and she just, like, drops in the sand and goes to sleep. It's exhausted. Yeah. So she wakes up probably in the afternoon, and she's still really tired, but she decides that she needs to get up to higher ground, and then she goes back to sleep up there, too. And when she wakes up, she turns the canoe upside down, and then climbs up to the headland where she lived before. Now I looked up what I'm really not the smartest person in the world, but so I don't know if you knew what a
1: headland was. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. Well, just, yeah, just from lots of reading and things, but yeah.
0: I was like, what is a headland? It's like a, it's like a jetty or like a piece of the land that comes out into the ocean. So like in Oregon, we have in in the part of the coast where we go, we have jetties. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can walk out onto the jetty and there's basically ocean on each side of you. It's like this long, narrow slip of land. So that just kind of helped me picture where she was. And she's surprised that she's happy to be back. I thought that was funny too. I think she feels Mm -hmm. like relief. Like, Oh, okay. And she realizes that she's going to have to stay here until the white men come, but she's going to have to find a good place to build a house. So this is the kind of stuff that's like, She does this, and she builds this, and she, you know, um, eventually builds a fence. So she decides that it needs to be sheltered from the wind and not too far from Coral Cove and close to a good spring. So she knows of two places like this. One is on the headland where she's been staying, and the other one is it says less than a league to the west. Now I looked up what a league was. A league is three miles. Mm. So, mm-hmm. that was kind of that was kind of interesting to me and she hadn't been to the second place in a while so she decides to go and see it and once she gets there she realizes that the wild dog's lair is very close and that she's gonna have to kill them before she builds a house there it also has less protection from the wind than the spot on the headland i was like yeah i wrote like a jetty hasita Head. So in Florence, yeah. Oregon, there's that's where we would go to play on the beach with Hasita Head. <laughs> so the clincher on her decision is that the sea elephants, sea lions or walruses, but they're bigger.
1: Yeah, because she kind of describes them as having sort of a snout that's like, like, it's like I can picture them in my mind. What I imagine them as are elephant seals that's how i'm because i just looked up sea elephants and elephant seals came up and in her description of them that this is sort of how i imagined them well i'll have to put a picture like on one of our posts or something but yeah they're they're ugly
0: they have tusks
1: um these ones do not it's like
0: a sea lion with a really ugly face yeah i mean not that sea lions have really nice faces because they don't but
1: no, but it has that extra snout. And that's what she talks about is it's the bulls that have the like droopy weird snout thing. So anyway, weird. that's I, I think that's what the sea elephants are is the elephant seal. She decides that because the sea elephants spend
0: so much time there, they are too noisy. And like I said, we you can drive an hour from here, hour and a half from here from where I live and go see the sea lions down on the mm-hmm. wharf they are so loud. Mm -hmm. Like I can imagine she's like, I don't want to stay next to near you guys. So the next two days, it just rains and rains and um, she makes a small shelter, but is freezing since she can't build a fire because of the rain. And then when the rain stops, she decides she's going to go look for supplies to build a house and a fence and Because she needs a way to keep the dogs out. And then it says the red foxes too, which I don't know if they mentioned that again. But, you know, and she's kind of excited. I think she's excited. It says her spirits are up. I wrote her spirits are up. Because she's like, has something to do and work on and like a motivation, right? Yeah. She's singing. She's enjoying all the smells. Okay. So to build her fence, she uses the bones of two whales. Which is kind it's so fascinating how they have to use the stuff that's like in nature to do things that we just go to the store and buy fence posts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or we go buy a tool to dig a hole to put the fence posts in. I mean, she's using whale bones to make a
1: fence. Yeah, she, and used- she had to think through it too because she decides to tie them together with, I think it was kelp because she was like, it like the sinews from the whales themselves would be a really good idea, but the dogs would chew at those. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, just had to think through every step of the way. But
0: I know. It's just, it's so incredible. And that somebody could write this too. Like, yeah, he had to think through all this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's why I could never, I think I could never write a book because <gasps> there'd just be too much. I don't know. Too much stuff. I don't know. <laughs> okay so she uses a rock as part of her fence and then she digs a hole under the fence so she can get in and out now that's got to be annoying too like to get in and out of her house she has to go in the ground through this hole but this is gonna be what keeps her safe from the dogs so the house takes a long time to build because there isn't very much wood on the island and so she spends days and days searching for wood she finishes the house when the winter is about half over, the foxes and the wild dogs will come up, but they don't come, they can't get in. Yeah. And she's able to shoot a couple of the dogs, but still not the leader. There's another foreshadowing. So she makes cooking utensils. And this was interesting too, so that she can save the juices from the cooked fish. So before she would lose them. And Mm. they would, you know, when she was cooking, but she also makes a basket to make gruel and I looked that up too which you probably already knew what that was but it's like a kind of cereal kind of like musher or orange
1: yeah but I am curious like what did she put into this gruel like,
0: right <laughs> what was, was there any no. sort
1: of I know what was the grain she was putting in there but
0: I know oh well, I mean yeah interesting right but making but she yeah, and she had to cook it in a basket. So she makes a fire pit in the middle of her house. Normally the tribe would put the the fire out at night, but she doesn't because she's trying to save, save herself from extra work. So she keeps her fire going or she like, I think she puts ashes on it at night to like have it die down, but not totally. And then by spring she is, she has her house done. She's comfortable. She's safe. She has enough to eat. She decides that she needs a bigger spear and a bigger bow. And so, oh, and then she uses those little fish as light.
1: Yeah. That was that's cool. Really cool. Yeah. I
0: don't know. Like, did she hang them up? I think she hung them up. Mm-hmm. They like flicker and glow, in, but they smell really bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're called, I think, saissai. And so mm-hmm. she uses these dried fish. Um, It says they smell bad, but they burn at night. And so she's able to keep working. And then she realizes that she might be able to use a sea elephant's tooth for the point of her spear. But she's like, okay, but how am I going to get one?
1: That's where it is. Yeah, because up to that point, sometimes the sea elephants had been caught, but it was always by like three men with a special net. And and so she's like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. i got to do it. And that's what I love is like, as she goes on, it's not like she was helpless before, but also remember she was like 12 when this all starts. And so she was doing the best that she could. But as she goes on, she just becomes more empowered and more empowered and more like, she's like, oh, I can think through this and I can do this. And I don't know exactly how this is going to happen, but I'm going to pursue it and we'll make it work. And yeah, so she just grows in confidence and competence. And it's, it's very cool to see. She also grows in age and I yes. think, and obviously strength. And I think that yeah. that makes a big difference too. So,
0: and probably doing those things, she will, you know, she's probably stronger than she would have been
1: Yes, if she wasn't alone. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts that I had as I was reading along. So first of all, it was interesting that up to this point, you know, she's just, she's moving along, she's surviving. And then those first storms of winter come and that, and you're like that, this is still her first year, probably. Those first storms of winter come and she's like, you know, there's no way the ship is coming. And then all of her hope just drains Mm -hmm. and she didn't have any motivation for anything after that. And it and it makes you realize it's like, it really is hope that is our driving factor behind everything. You know, hope is what gets us up in the morning. Hope is what gets us to work and to exercise and to interacting with people and to setting goals. Hope is so fundamental. And when we lose it, we've almost lost everything because we can't even function anymore.
0: Yeah, she probably felt like, They'll come back for me. I just have to make it this far. Yeah. Wait, till this time. And then when they don't come back, she that's when her hope just goes
1: out the window. And she's like, what's the point? What's the point anymore? But to her credit, then she got to, so, you know, she lost her hope. Then she got to the point of desperation. And when you're at the point of desperation, you'll do anything. And she even says she's like, you know, it was terrifying to her to go out on the ocean. She's still like 12 or 13 or something at this point. I don't know. Well, she's probably a little bit older now because it had been a little while. So she's maybe 13, 14, whatever. So since the beginning of the book, I should say. Yes. Yeah. She's really scared to go out on the ocean. She's a young girl alone and these canoes are huge. But at this point, she's so desperate. She's willing to try anything. Yeah. It's like, well, may as well, you know, you kind of like all of your other fears out the window because you're clinging on to one last desperate hope. And then that was lost. And it was like, all right, going back to the island. All of these little turning points are so important because when she gets back to the island, she's like, well, I'm going to be here. So I may as well build a house
0: and make it comfortable. Yeah. Yes.
1: And that's when she turns from her, her point of just survival to thriving. So she goes from survive to thrive because now she's going to set down roots. She's going to like, Make an actual living place and and move forward with her life. Anyway,
0: as you're talking, that is so interesting because okay, so it's like she was in not denial. I mean, because she knew where she was, <laughs> she knew what her situation was. Yeah, but like so, it's not the word isn't denial, but like she hadn't accepted her situation. Not and anything, then yeah. once she did accept it, she was able to move forward.
1: Yeah,
0: I, that's so interesting because when we're in Resistance of what actually is, I think we have no traction for. In you know, to do better or to make things better, right?
1: Yeah, to move forward and to yeah. improve the situation, which we have found ourselves in, it's like, hey, this is reality. But when we're pushing up, like pushing against reality, yep, we're not able to get anywhere. So it's until when we're able to accept that we go, okay, well, this is what it is, and now we figure out how to thrive in this reality.
0: Yeah, I love like what Brene Brown says that like, if you argue with reality, you lose only 100% of the time.
1: Every yeah. time. Yeah, I love that. That's when I have not heard before, but yeah, that's really. Yeah,
0: it's like with me, you know, I have diabetes and that's a lot of times I get into this, why I don't want it to be like this. Well, guess what? I can't change it. There's nothing yeah. I can do. This is what it is. And when I'm thinking that way, I have no ability to do anything about it so accepting it and being like, okay, it is what it is. Then I, then I finally have anyways. And I go back and forth too. For a few months I'm doing good and I'm feeling like, okay, this is my existence. This is how it's going to be. And then I'll get down on it and
1: think, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't be sick. This should not be reality. (laughs) That's right. So, well, I know. And I think that that would probably be some of the hardest kind of reality to face because it's like, this is your reality for a very long time. That's really hard. Yeah.
0: Well, and they were like, you know, a lot of diabetics can, can reverse it. Yeah. And I haven't been able to. And so and with everything I've tried. And so it was like, I had this little glimmer of hope. And then sometimes when then I find out, okay, you might not have the kind that can be reversed. Then I get hopeless. But anyway, it so yeah. it's like this whole cycle. So yeah. Like I said, in that one chapter about her being on the, in the canoe, I loved the writing in that chapter, but I love that when she can't decide if she should turn back or keep going. And I was thinking, well, which fate is worse? Like she's out on the water and she's like, what's worse? I guess she realizes she has to come back, but it said, it was suddenly clear to me that it was dangerous to go on. The voyage would take two more days, perhaps longer by turning back to the island. I would not have nearly so far to travel. Yeah, so she is. It'd be shorter distance. Still, yeah. I could not make up my mind to do so. She couldn't like resign it to you know resign to the fact that she needed to go back. The sea was calm, and I had come far. The thought of turning back after all this labor was more than I could bear. Even greater was the thought of the deserted island I would return to if living the of living there alone and forgotten for how
1: many suns and how many moons. Just a huge dilemma. She In just, a way, it was kind of made for her. Yeah, she weighed her options. She's like, okay, I just have to go back. It was down to like drown on the ocean or figure out how to live on the island. The chapters 13 through 15. So we ended chapter 12 and she's like, I need a spear. I need a sea elephant tooth. I don't know how I'm going to get it, but it's going to happen. So she's determined to just kill a sea elephant. So like I said, she's not sure how it's going to happen, but she knows it does have to happen for her to be able to kill the wild dogs. And like ever since her brother was killed, killed like that is kind of her underlying driving force like yes survival yes she wants to leave the island but while she's on the island she really is working towards killing all the wild dogs so she goes to the place where the sea elephants are and she just kind of sits and watches for a while kind of trying to figure out what to do she sees all the males bull sea elephants and there's only like six of them they're very loud they're very ugly they're very rambunctious they're like They'll fight at the drop of a hat. And she observes this younger one who's a bit smaller than the others and obviously doesn't have a herd yet. So, it, you know, it's kind of a loner. And she's like, okay, hey, I'll take out that one. But then as she watches and observes, she sees that this younger one and an older one start fighting. And evidently it's over the the herd of the older one, the females. There comes a point where Karana has this a chance An opportunity to kill the younger one, but she holds back and she just watches. She's like, I'm just going to sort of see what happens. In the meantime, she hurts her leg like really bad. She falls on the rocks or something and hurts her leg really badly. And she wants to stay and kind of see how things play out because these two sea elephants are just going at it like so fiercely, but she's got to go because her leg is hurt so badly. The last, kind of the last thing that she sees is the younger one has the older one by the throat and they've like gone under the water and then she leaves and she keeps hearing them bellowing and things. We'll kind of follow up on that a little bit later, but in the meantime, she's hurt her leg so badly that she... She makes her way back to her hut and then she just kind of has to stay there for several days, basically until her water and food run out. And at that point she's like, Hey, I've got to, I've got to go out and get more water. Again, it's been several days. She drags herself out. She takes some weapons with her and takes her water containers as she's going out to to the spring to refill her water containers, like it's apparent that the dogs are around. Though all these wild dogs are around her, they're sort of tracking her, they're following her, kind of hunting her. It's very very creepy, but she's able to make it to the mouth of a cave that they cannot follow her into, for whatever reason. She can hear them pitter pattering around above her and and like in the brush, but they are not going to follow her into the cave. So she's very safe there, and she she stays there. She does have water. She has some food now. Uh, she sees her for six days, just letting herself recover. And while she's there, she's like, I may as well turn this into a second house. So if I need to, I can come here. So she's sort of like, I just love, I, I honestly love these parts because it just seems sort of like very cozy and what do I want to say, secure to me. And I yeah. don't know. That just makes me happy. For like being in a cave? I guess. I guess, and just the fact that she's like uh, making it very, like supplying it with the food and the water and bedding and and kindling so it has everything she needs so that she can live there comfortably if she needs to. Although she does say that it's cold and that sounds awful and very miserable. <laughs> okay, but she does get stuff for a fire though, so then she's, she can be warm. By the time she's all finished outfitting this cave, like her lake as well, she's able to make her way Back to the place where the sea elephants were, and again, it's been like probably close to two weeks yeah. at this point. I think like eleven days, if I do the math. Yeah, because right. she
0: was at, she was up in her first house for five days, and then she went yeah. to the cave and was there for six.
1: Yeah, six days. Yeah, days. so it's been like eleven days, and so and she sees that that old bull is dead. It's been killed, and its bones are picked clean by the seagulls, and. It's like nature took its course and did what she needed it to without her firing a shot. And I think that there's a lot of lessons in that throughout this whole book that I'll talk about later. But anyway, so she's able to retrieve some of the teeth, like several of the teeth. She's able to make spears. And now she's ready to go and fulfill her goal of just killing all the wild dogs. Just a little bit of sort of backstory. Apparently there'd always been wild dogs on the island as long as her people had been there. But ever since, you know, all those men had been killed by the Aleuts, all the men of her tribe, the pack had just grown exponentially because all the men's dogs had run off to join the pack. And then they had more babies and the babies and younger dogs were like so much wilder than the older dogs. And so it was just huge.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize, I mean, cause they said that some of the men that died, their dogs had joined the pack. And then at this point, I realized, oh, and then when all the people left, all the rest of the dogs joined that
1: pack. There's a ton of them. And again, you know, it's not like they just stop having babies. They keep having babies in a lot of them. And and also, it's apparent that the leader of the pack is had belonged. Well, she believes that it belonged to the Aleuts, And it's a very distinguishable because it has these yellow eyes and it's a very altogether handsome dog i can't really imagine a dog that has yellow eyes and being like yeah it's yeah. a great looking dog but that's how she describes it anyway so she makes her way to their cave with like all of her weapons. She takes all of them. And she kind of goes with her original plan that she'd made right when they had killed her brother. And she sets all this brush on fire and like shoves it into the cave, kind of thinking that she's going to smoke them out and kill them. But that doesn't really work. Like a few come out, but then she's like, well, I'm actually going to save my arrows for the leader. because I think she figures if she takes out the leader, it's going to be okay. So she does The leader comes out. She shoots him in the chest. She shoots another one and it misses him. But And he kind of like stumbles off. A few more come out. And she does kill several, but certainly not as many as she's planning on. And then she decides to try to go find the leader. She like makes her way into the cave. He's not there. And then it's like raining for several days. So it's been several days. And she does finally find him. And he's still alive, even though the arrow was like in his chest. Uh, And he's like, nod it down to almost nothing. But the point is still, is still him. So she actually like, picks him up, carries him back to her house and nurses him back to health. There's a point where she's like, hunting for food and stuff. And she's like, I did take a minute to wonder why I was doing this. (laughs) But altogether, like she doesn't think about it that much. She's just, she's just doing it. She's surviving herself and she's nursing this dog back to health. And as he gains back his strength, he's like right there in the hut with her. But she's scared of him. Yeah. And so like he stays there and she'll go sleep on a rock somewhere. And she'll leave her little gate open so that he can leave. It's like, there's the door, you know, you can leave. <laughs> but, but he never does. Like every day she comes back and he's always there. And so this trust begins to build up. And after a while, as she when she comes back, she's almost more worried that he won't be there.
0: I think it's so- interesting if you think about the fact that he had something to do with her brother's death.
1: Yeah, totally. As far as we know, like he was one of the, I mean, the leader of the pack. Yeah. And so she has turned this bitter enemy into one that she was like very determined to kill. She's turned him into a friend and she calls him Ron too.
0: There's so much about the situation with this dog. She doesn't really want to keep the dog, but she doesn't want him to hurt or suffer. And she actually caused the pain. Or the the injury that she's nursing back to health. And like, I, I think there's a point in there where he looks at her and then she's like, I don't know, they have this moment where they kind of look at each other. And then she's arguing with it later. Like, well, I don't know. Like, like you said, leave the door open. Like you can go anytime. Like, I think you're good, but he yeah. doesn't, you know, they needed each other. He was lonely too, because he'd been left by the, the Aleut's. -hmm. And she was lonely and they needed anyways, they needed each other. So I just loved it. No, as soon as I realized I had read this book, this all this came back to
1: me. Mm, That's so cool. I just really like, oh yeah, she becomes friends with the leader of the back. And it makes me think about that thing, and I can't remember who says it, but basically the best way to destroy an enemy is to make them your friend. And this is a, a wonderful example of that. That's exactly what she does. And she doesn't just gain a friend. She gains an ally. And it helps to stave off her own, you know, her loneliness, sort of her depression. And he's also a protector as well, you know? Yeah, so. he keeps her. I'm sure he keeps her safe from the
0: other dogs. I mean, yeah, yeah she, he, she needed him. When Karana hurts her leg, I was thinking about how sometimes when we have trials, like so she hurts her leg and it actually becomes kind of a blessing because it's not a horrible injury. I mean, it's she hurts her leg pretty bad, but it wasn't, like, life-threatening. But it makes her realize certain things like, oh, I'm going to need, like, a second house to hide in if I'm mm-hmm. sick or, you know, I, later it'll come in, the alley come back. Mm-hmm. She so needs somewhere to hide. Yeah. And so I just think sometimes trials – can happen. And we can look at them like as opportunities for learning and growth. So I'm sure at the time she was like, oh, and she hurts her leg because she's paying too much attention to the sea elephants. So yeah. She was distracted and she trips and hurts her leg. And anyways, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. And then also I liked as she was preparing the cave and she, there aren't, there's like drawings inside the cave from her ancestors. And she felt like when she was in there, she was like, I feel like my ancestors are watching over me.
1: All these things that, like you say, sort of these blessings that come from that hard thing. And the thing is like, all of this is the hard thing, but then she hurting her leg is like an extra hard thing. But there is, there's the blessing of, you know, figuring out that she needs the extra cave and and she's able to stockpile and, and prepare it. And she's, able to sort of have this connection with her ancestors, which can bring so much just sort of peace and and hope again. So.
0: Yeah. When little things, yeah, when cool. little trials happen, there are opportunities to realize like, oh, I need to be, okay. For instance, when COVID happened and nobody had toilet paper, I was like, oh, we need to have toilet paper on hand, right? <laughs> like- yeah, Totally.
1: <laughs> Yeah. This is something to have plenty of because you don't realize how much you need it until you don't
0: have it. Yes. Yeah. So she was fine until she realized like, if I get sick or hurt, I'm going to need a backup plan.
1: I have an observation, but I think I'll talk about it a little bit later because it sort of.
0: So chapter 16 through 18. So there's still, I think it, it often will say there's still no sign of the white man ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All through the spring and all through the summer, even though she looks for it every day. But she's also watching for the Aleut ship and wondering what she's going to do if it comes. And like you said in the beginning, I think in the last episode, the Aleut ship is a red sail. So she knows what she's looking for. And she realizes that if it comes, then she's probably going to hide in her cave. And if she stays there, if she has to stay there, she's going to need a canoe to get to. I think to to get away from them. Yeah. And so she needs to fix her canoe. So she spends this is I mean just like parts like this. Spends days digging it out of the sand. Like that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and she stays down there to sleep. It's warm enough that she's able to stay down there and sleep to save time. But the canoe is still too big for her to move in and out of the water. So she decides to make it smaller and she says, it's not as good looking as it was before, but it's smaller and she can move it. So that works. And Ron is around. He's sleeping in the shade. He chases pelicans. He um she talks about how he learns his name and he's like understanding some other words that she is a, like commands and stuff that she's able to give him. And she talks to him. I like that too. Like he's like a person. Like She needed somebody to talk to. And so she talks to him, and that she's not lonely anymore because she has him. Okay. So once she's done with the canoe, she decides that she needs to take it for a little spin. (laughs) I could take it. So her and Rontu take it all the way around the island to make sure that it's working. And now that she knows that it is dependable, they start taking other trips in it. And so they discover there's lots of sea caves all around the island and so she discovers a sea cave that is just under the headland. it's really dark and disturbing at first and I think it sounded like she keeps going into these little rooms like mm-hmm. they'd kind of go into one dark room and the next one and then and then eventually she sees this tiny light in the distance and so she drifts towards it in that room, there's a rock shelf. She decides it would be the perfect place to keep her canoe. And then if she makes a trail from her house down to this little room, then she'd be able to get there quickly and escape if the Aleuts come. So she starts telling this to the dog, but he's busy. He is watching <laughs> a devil fish, which is an octopus. So she picks up her spear and gets ready. She go, She drifts her boat towards it. And just as she's like leaning out to spear it, the devilfish releases its ink. And then when the ink clears, the devilfish is gone because it's super fast. And the dog is confused. Rontus like, well, where did it go? Then she talks about how the devilfish is a delicacy, but they're hard to catch. And she decides that this winter she's going to spend a bunch of time and make a special spear to catch it. So she goes home. Her canoe needs to stay on the beach for the, must be for the winter. And then in the spring, she's going to bring it down and keep it in that cave that they just found. Yeah. So winter that year comes early. So this must be year two. I think it must be. Because, yeah.
1: Is this her second winter? and now it's a spring.
0: So she does spend a bunch of time that winter making her spear to get the devil fish. And Rontu's always there. He's sleeping by her. And I this is scary. She breaks three of the four sea elephant teeth. Like, oops. <laughs> Those aren't easy yeah. to get. Exactly. But she does get one to work. And it sounds like, I mean, I would love to see a picture of how this works, but it's like a ring with like a braided cord and this the tooth at the end. This is the one that she's making to catch the devil fish. And it's like it somehow re like she would shoot it and it would release, but then it would be still tied to her wrist. So she'd be able to pull in the octopus.
1: Yeah. I'm curious if we could find it like a, because it sounds like that's a fairly primitive way of, of catching them anyway.
0: Oh, and she's able to throw it from a distance,
1: like from further away.
0: However, she made this, this spear when spring comes. So she takes her new spear down to the, to coral cove. But the dog is not with her. He had ignored the, the other dogs all winter. But the night before last, he'd been whining and he refused to eat. So she let she actually let him out. So Karana goes by herself and she takes the canoe out. The water is clear, but there's lots of devil fish down there. And the whole time she can't stop thinking about Rontu. She's worried that he's going to become her enemy again. And if he does, she knows that she can't kill him. She wouldn't be able to bring herself to do that. After several hours, she's able to catch a couple of bass, but no devilfish. And so she hides her canoe and heads up to her house. And then when she gets up to the top of the hill, she hears dogs fighting. And she follows Rontu's tracks and sees him on a mound of shells that, it was shells of shellfish that her ancestors had left and they had made this mound. And he's standing on it like at the edge of the cliff between him and the wild pack of dogs is these two other dogs and she recognizes one as the one that took over the pack he's now the leader and then she doesn't recognize the other dog but they have blood on their mouths so there's a fight rom to
1: I, which is interesting because i don't think she talks about him being hurt i think there's one point where it's it's apparent that there is uh, he like licks his knee or something so there's maybe a little scratch there but it's not that.
0: Yeah. At one point, the dogs get his flank, like they bite him. But anyways, so he must not be hurt too bad. But there's a fight. Rontu howls, and then he goes home. He never goes back to them again, and they never bother them. Did you find anything?
1: I'm pretty sure it's a harpoon. Oh. So okay. I just looked up harpoon, and it's like basically that description. Like it's got the barbed end, like she talks about. It does say it was held by a string, which is tied to your wrist. But... Uh, the harpoon, it's a long spear like instrument and tool used in fishing, whaling, sealing, and other marine hunting. And it's been used for a very long time. It talks about the Inuit people who would use it in hunting large sea creatures. I, yeah, I kind of. Yeah, it says a, like a it.
0: spear with a shaft and barbed point for throwing, used for catching large fish whales. I bet that's what it is. Totally.
1: Yeah. Okay. So
0: the dog's back with her. And then this last chapter, chapter 18, because of the heavy rains in the spring. Now they're blessed with flowers blooming Mm -hmm. and the birds are coming. So she talks about there being hummingbirds and blue jays. And then a bird that she hadn't seen before has a yellow body and a red head comes and it's singing, it has this nice singing voice, I don't know, sound that it makes. And two of these birds build a nest near her house and they take turns sitting on these two speckled eggs And she leaves some abalone under them for them to feed their babies once they hatch. And at first, these babies are ugly. They're like gray and they're not as beautiful as their mom and dad. But she takes them and she puts them in a cage. And then eventually they start looking better and more like their parents. And they're they're singing like their parents. But when they get too big for the cage, she clips their wings. And then she lets them loose in the house. And they, I can just imagine, and this reminded me of like Snow Snow White, <laughs> like the movie where they're like the birds are jumping around the house and singing. And then the wings grow again. And so she clips them again. And now she keeps them in the yard. And then they grow again. And she doesn't, the, the last time she doesn't clip, well, she never clips the wings again, but they don't ever go further than the ravine. And they always come back at night. Oh, and she also, when they were in the house, she taught them to eat out of her hand. So they're reliant on her. So they always come back and they beg for food. She names the birds. One is for a boy that she liked that was killed by the Aleuts. And the other one is the name that she wished she had, which is funny. It's like, you're the only one on the island. You're just, just be that name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My daughter, Katie, complains all the time about how we gave her a basic name. Like, she's like, my name is so basic. Was, last night, and she said it to me last night. And I said, we'll change it. <laughs> She goes, I can't change it. (laughs) It's like, I just said, sorry, we were young and dumb.
1: I mean, I do love her name, but. And at the same time though, it's so classic. Like it's, it's a beautiful classic name that will never go out of style. Like, honestly. I know. I mean, we didn't name her like something awful. I don't know. (laughs) No, but there are some names that I think definitely don't age well. I mean, yeah. think about like Winifred, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, like Maureen, or I, I don't know, like anyway, Wil- Wilbur, Wilbur, <laughs> Wilbur does not age well. That's and I think last... there's a lot of like modern names now that I'm like, that is not going to age well at all. Like, right. All these very, but yeah, a name I, like Katie is always going to be classic.
0: She's, she's like, I wanted a name like Presley, and I was like, well, I'm sorry, we were 22. <laughs> I was 22 when I, I think I was 22 when I had her and I'm like, sorry, I thought when she grew up, we would call her Kate. Mm. I'm like, we'll call her Katie when she's little and then we'll call her Kate when she's, and that just never happens. You can't mm. change what you're calling somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I was really young, but I loved it because of Growing Pains. Kirk Cameron's girlfriend on Growing Pains name was Kate. It's a, oh, okay. and then I had read a book on it anyways, but I'm like, Katie, hey, I love your name and it fits yeah. you. Yeah,
1: so, it sorry. totally does. She sorry, it's basic.
0: <laughs> anyway, so yes, the second name is the one that she wished she'd been given. Then she makes another yucca skirt, and oh, this made me think sandals out of seal skin to help her protect her to help protect her feet from the hot sand. The girl didn't have shoes, and yeah. think about how hot sand is.
1: Oh yeah, seriously, just this burn. Made me think. Oh my gosh,
0: yeah. So. She so often likes to put her skirt and her sandals on, and her and Rontu walk the cliffs. When the Aleuts had come and killed a bunch of the men, uh, her and the other women in the tribe had singed their hair for mourning. Now her hair is down to her waist, and so sometimes she usually wears it down. I thought that was this was a good picture too. And then, except when she wears a wreath on her head, and then she makes a wreath, a flower wreath for Rontu, but he doesn't like it. Shocking! He doesn't want to yeah. wear it. It just ends the chapter with they're happy. Yeah. And the white men have not
1: come. And really neither have the Aleuts. So nope. that's kind of relief. You know, it has been several years at this point, like, because. I think it's been like three, probably at least. Yeah. And probably like four since the men were killed. Right. After the men were killed, it was about a year before that ship came. And if she had singed her hair short at that point, and now it's super long all the way down to her waist, it's. It's probably been about four years. One thing that I kind of mentioned that I wanted to bring out was just how often, and I think this is a really important lesson. She is really tempted to interfere, but she lets nature take its course. Like how many times does that happen? And there's so many times that like, she's watching the sea elephants and she's like, I could have shot him, but I wanted to see what was going to happen. And it like It worked out. She let nature happen. And nature often has a way of taking care of itself and taking care of us, you know. And then when it came down to the dogs, you know, Rantu was there and he was in this fight with these two dogs and it came down to where he actually like was in physical combat with them and she had these open shots where she could have taken them down, but she didn't. She let nature, she was like, I held back. I held back. She let nature take its course, and because she did, Rantu killed those other two dogs. And because of that, it really was—I think—it was respect for him that made the other dogs just like they kind of separated into two tribes, and they never bothered him again. It was like, okay, you are the—you <laughs> are the dude, and we will let you do whatever you want to do. You know,
0: <laughs> we're not bothering so, you anymore. We will just stay over here. Yeah, that's true. I looked at it as like. You know, we talked last episode,
1: I think, about tender mercies. I'm like,
0: the sea elephant's killing, one of them's killing the other. It was totally a tender mercy. like
1: Yeah, and that too, for sure. Because there was just no way that she was going to be able to do it completely on her own. Yeah. they're pretty vicious creatures. So even if she had killed one, how was she going to fend off the others? Yeah. Well, she retrieved that one, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know if they would attack her, but it seems to me like they probably would.
0: Interesting, right? Because, I mean, you'd think of it as being like their friend, you know, but then if one kills the other, he's taking care of it for you. Yeah. And she doesn't like killing.
1: No. Yeah. And that is definitely another thing. It's like all these things are necessary for her survival, but she's certainly taking no joy in it. And all of it is for a purpose. Yeah. So.
0: I'm just super impressed with like, her ingenuity and like memory for what she learned from the other people in the tribes and anyways, I love this book. It's very good. Yeah. I love, I love dogs, (laughs) like stories of (laughs) friendships, you know, like the dog and human friendship. I think it's kind of amazing. Okay. So next week we will do chapters 19 through,
1: I think it's 29, right? Yeah. So we'll finish off rest of the book. Yeah. So, have you read this to your kids before? Yes. Yeah. It's been a few years. So I, it's on my list to read to them in the summer again, because I think this would be a really great summer read.
0: Do you ever like read to them again? I don't know, because you'll read to them when like the older ones are little. Mm-hmm. And now you've got this new set of kids. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I know. And I'm like, there's so many books out there that I just want to read and read and read. But we've got to repeat. We've got to repeat yeah because a lot of the younger kids don't remember so many of the books that maybe they were there for them when we read them but there's just no way they remember what's it gonna be like when you just have cast to read to like (laughs) i don't know you know yeah it's gonna be i don't know it'll be interesting i warned
0: you right like your first just graduated and it happened really fast after this every other year a couple years yeah like (laughs) seriously here We we like our year off where we don't have a senior. Yeah, you probably appreciate that now. But huh? I only have one more after this because we ha- we both have seniors this year. And so next year, well, I'll have one more in two years that we'll graduate. And then we've got a 10-year gap. And then, and
1: then a big break. If yeah. we're still alive.
0: But <laughs> she graduates from high school.
1: Oh, my gosh. Like, that is off. wild. 10-year gap.
0: You have six years, right? Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I mean, that's a gap. <laughs> does he listen? Does Cass listen to your you read now?
1: Um, somewhat. It just depends. Like does,
0: does he like play on the floor when you're reading? Yeah,
1: yeah. He'll sit and listen really well with picture books. He does well that way, but you know, the chapter books are they're a little difficult. But he he's always in the room. Yeah. So. He's getting it. <laughs> yeah. I wanna know what you're reading. Okay. So first of all. The book that I shared about last week, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, just sort of a follow-up. First of all, like I said, it was over 21 hours, very, very long. So it took me until just a couple days ago to finish it. It was so long. And also it was really, really rough, really rough. So I don't know if I can like recommend it because first of all, so much language so much drugs, alcohol, sex, just all of it. And it was, I mean, it's all for a purpose to like paint this picture of that awful repeating cycle. And like, how do people get out of it? And it's in the foster system is awful. And and these kids that just, like I said, just get into this awful cycle of drugs, sex, alcohol, you know. And so many of them die young. And that's what she was illustrating. But it was rough. It was rough. But I did finally finish it. And so I found another book that I just, I think I started it yesterday and I am almost done with it because it's pretty, it's it's only an eight hour book. And I, yeah. After a 21 hour book, eight hours, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's good. And I think it must've come up on the recommended because in some ways there's some some similarities with the other, but it's called The Life We Bury by Alan Eskins. It's pretty good. It's about this, this kid he'd never really known his father. His mother was an alcoholic and he has a younger brother who is severely autistic. So that's sort of, you know, how he'd grown up and he never really expected to go to college or anything, but he did go to college and he's, he's really, he's working so hard to, you know, pay his way through college. Also getting called frequently by his mom. Who's like, had another DUI or just like runs out and like, is abusive to his brother and and things like that. So he's like trying to help his brother bailing his mom out of jail. Um, But he has this assignment for one of his English classes. uh, And it's a, it's a biography class that they're supposed to like write biography. And so sort of the assignment is to interview an older person and write down their story. And so he goes to this nursing home and the only person that is really cognizant enough to be able to, Talk to him is this man who's who had just been sent there from prison he's like in his 60s but he seems like he's in his 80s he'd been given this life sentence in prison but he's dying from pancreatic cancer and so they're like we're gonna just like basically put him on parole to this nursing home because he's gonna die there he so he'd been convicted of a murder back in 1980 and He's, he was also a Vietnam vet. And so this boy, Joe, he starts interviewing him, thinking he's just like the worst monster in the world. And he starts realizing that he was falsely accused. Yeah. And so he uses this opportunity. He makes friends with his neighbor. And they're able to like turn this whole case around from 30 years earlier. So anyway, it's just, I really... I, I like it a lot because it's another sort of like honor your elders, get to know their stories. Also, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of things that, you know, so many things, especially like before DNA testing and <laughs> very thorough investigations, there were a lot of like false convictions and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, it's, I really like it. It's really good.
0: I've heard of that book, but I didn't know what it was about. So, I'll have to, yeah. that sounds like something I would like. I think that you would. Yeah. The book I'm reading is called What the Wind Knows by Amy Harmon. And I think it's a new book. I've read one by her before. But this, yeah, 2019, I guess it's kind of, it's not that new, but kind of new. Anyways, I read a book by her, a pioneer woman. And so Mm. this is nothing like that. Where the Lost Wander is what Mm. I read before. Anyways, this one is about a girl who is raised by her grandfather, who is Irish, And he had been raised by, like, basically his grandmother because his parents had died in, like, I think the 1920s in Ireland when there was, like, lots of, you know, political unrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. he had been – anyways, so they're here. I think they're in the United States. He dies. And she was a writer, and she always wanted to go back to Ireland, and he never would let her. But then right before he dies, he's like, I want my ashes spread on this lake in Ireland. So once he dies, she's able to go back. So she goes there. She's kind of finding out stuff about her and you know her her grandparents. So this guy, which is funny, his name is Owen, but it's spelled E O I N. Mm. And so I was glad I looked it up because I would that would have irritated me to death. Like calling him like I mean I had no E O I N. I had no idea how to. say I would
1: that. have said A O N because I think that's yeah. how Tolkien spelled spells eowyn in the lord of the rings which is a woman anyway yeah so i looked it
0: up and it was like owen oh that's much easier to like think so um she's kind of like researching everything she goes and rents this like paddle boat to go out and spread his ashes she stands up to spread his ashes and she gets shot randomly well when she wakes up she's like back in like the 1900s they think that she is her grandmother so they thought, you know, in the beginning of the book it did talk about how she looked like her grandmother and they kinda had the same they had the same name. It was Anne. And so she's like this doctor who was really close to her grandparents is taking care of her. And her grandfather is there as a little child. So I don't anyways, I'm like halfway through it, but it's really good. Like
1: that sounds so fun. I love it. Yeah that's cool so we're
0: we uh we had our book club meeting where we pick books for the next year this week Mm -hmm. and so this is one of the books that I recommended just I'm not done with it but I think it's gonna be real
1: it's really good yeah super
0: fun and I maybe I might read Amy Harmon like most of her books because I think she's actually really good you've enjoyed
1: them really good yeah uh, a lot so far okay I'm writing her name down yeah I heard about it on Instagram I think So, and
0: then when I I know, I recognize her name, I'm like, I think I've read something by her before, but it was totally
1: different. So yeah. Yeah. How fun. We're so happy you joined us for this episode. We hope you will join us next week as we discuss the ending of the Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell chapters 19 through 29. If you have suggestions for books we should read and discuss, please email us at thebestbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. We want to inspire and encourage as many people as we can to read out of the best books.
0: As Thoreau says, read the best books first, or you may not have a chance to read them at all. See you next week.